Good morning and welcome to our services. We are very grateful for the opportunity to be together. If you're visiting, we hope that you will come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We hope and pray that you find a warm welcome here. We're always glad to have visitors with us and we're thankful for those who have recently placed membership with us and it may be the case that you're looking for a church home and I would invite you to give consideration to the work here. I know that the elders have met and do meet with prospective members and they're willing to answer any questions that you may have and to talk to you about how you might find your place in this congregation by way of work and involvement and we would love to have you come and join hands with us. We're going to be looking in just a moment at the passage that was read, Philippians chapter 2. Before we do so, I want to just make a couple of very quick announcements. First of all, I want to express appreciation to all of those who participated in VBS. We appreciate so much all of our teachers, our co-workers, our co-teachers, uh, those who prepared food every night. We had a, a great number of people that came to prepare treats each evening and then many stayed and helped clean up and so we appreciate all of you that made this past week a very, very special week. I talked to a lady on Friday who had brought her son to VBS and she lives not far from the building here. She's not a member of the church but I did encourage her to come and to, to be a part of our services and hopefully and prayerfully she will come back with her two small children but you never know the opportunities that present themselves as a result of VBS. And for some, it's the first time that these children are exposed to the teaching of the Bible, uh, to teaching about Jesus, and so we're grateful for those opportunities. Another thing I want to mention, I appreciate those of you that have contributed to the commercials that we will be taping in the next few days and that will be airing on Channel 5, and we we believe that much good will come forth from that. We are also now airing our radio broadcast on three different stations. Of course, we have the local station, AM 560, that airs each Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. And then we also, are, we also have a radio broadcast out of Arkansas. And that radio station is KAAY out of Little Rock and it covers the whole state and extends into uh, the, the Memphis listening area. As a matter of fact, it goes east of Memphis. And then we're also now on WSM, which is the home of the Grand Ole Opry. And I was told just a few minutes ago before we began services today that last month, in the month of June, 1,800 people downloaded sermons from the Olive Branch Church of Christ. If you average that, that out, that's about 450 people per week that are coming to our website and listening to sermons. That's not including those who are coming to browse. Those are just numbers that, that suggest that people are listening. That's a lot of people. And we've only been doing this for a short period of time. And so my thinking is it will only continue to grow. And who knows the... Well, you just never know the good that will come over time. And so we're thankful for that. As we think about our study today, we look at Philippians chapter 2. I want us to think about the theme, we are the difference. 
Sometimes we look at the world in which we live and we express concern over the state of our nation, and rightly so. If you're concerned about the future of our nation, take heart. You're not alone. Many of us are concerned about the direction of our country. And there are principles that I believe, if acted upon, would help bring our nation back to where it ought to be. We are in many respects in uncharted waters. Many of us, we want to make a difference. And I would suggest that as we think about wanting to make a difference, my take is this. We are the difference. If you do not think that you are a difference or if you are the difference in this nation, go back and look at how God has dealt with people in days gone by. I think about what God said regarding the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you know that just a few righteous people would have been the difference between annihilation and preservation? So we are the difference. We can be what God would have us to be. We can shine, as Paul said, as lights in this world. So as we think about what Paul has said in Philippians chapter 2, let me begin by saying that we are submerged in a darkened world of sin. When we look around in the world in which we live, we would all have to agree we are submerged in a sea of darkness. Now as we think about the darkness of sin, let me just call attention to the testimony of Jesus. In John chapter three, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He went on to say that those who believe in the Son are not condemned, but those who do not believe in the Son are condemned already because they did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then he said, this is condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. What Jesus was saying in the long ago, people gravitate toward darkness. The world in which we live, the world in which Jesus came into was a world of spiritual darkness. Jesus came to dispel the gloom and the darkness of sin and unrighteousness. Do you remember Jesus saying in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus was, as John portrayed him in John chapter 1, the true light who came into the world. But then think also of the testimony of John himself. 
John would say in 1 John chapter 5 at verse 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Some translations say that the whole world is in darkness. In other words, is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And so, you and I, some 2,000 years removed from the day of our Lord and the time of John, the apostle, the writings of the New Testament, and yet we understand that we are submerged in a world of darkness. We live amidst a sea of darkness. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment or two about the destructiveness of sin. The Bible chronicles in large part the destructive nature of sin. If you look at Romans, the first chapter, you have the Apostle Paul chronicling the sins of the Gentile world. And really, I believe, if you look at Romans chapter one, it would be a fitting summation of all people, regardless of whether or not one is a Jew or a Gentile. But there are some things that the Apostle Paul says about the lives of those who were called Gentiles. And he characterizes them as people who were submerged in the destructive nature of sin. When you and I talk about how sin operates and when we talk about the wages of living a sinful life and the grave consequences that follow, look at what Paul has to say in the first chapter of Romans. In Romans chapter one, for example, beginning in verse 20, Paul would say that there was a problem of ignorance among the people. Listen to him in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. We live in an age of enlightenment, don't we? I'm not sure how many universities and colleges are in our country. I've never taken the time to, to do a Google search. But I suspect there are thousands upon thousands of institutions of higher learning. And we have excelled in the realm of science, math. There are so many areas that we have excelled in, it's almost hard to keep up with. And yet when you look at the academic training that people receive on a regular basis, how is it that people who could be so enlightened are so engrossed in spiritual ignorance. I think about individuals that have been to some of the top learning centers of our day. They are extremely intelligent and yet they do not know anything about the one true living God. Some would say that we are the products of evolution. Some would say that we're the products of chance. And these are highly trained, academic individuals. Well, Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then, 
What about idolatry? Listen to what Paul said in verse 23. He said they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We look back at the Gentile world and we chide them for their idolatrous ways, their paganism. And we can, we can see that God's people were sometimes adversely affected by their pagan neighbors. And yet in this world of enlightenment, we have individuals who are enmeshed in idolatry. Now the Bible talks about idolatry in a number of ways. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 that covetousness is idolatry. Typically we think about an idol made by the hands of men. But there are other forms of idolatry. And here were people steeped in idolatry. When we talk about the destructiveness of sin, well, destruction comes when people are ignorant about the way of God, when they are idolatrous. And then let me give you a third characteristic, immorality. Look at what Paul said beginning in verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication. Let me just pause there. Immorality is a real problem in the world in which we live. It was a problem for the people who lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, they were known for their rampant homosexuality. Homosexuality would fall under the heading of fornication, as would adultery. The point is this. When people do not understand the nature of God, and the will of God, they live debased lives. They live like animals. Now we talk about some of the problems that our nation faces. Within the last 20 years, there, there has been an aggressive movement on the part of those who would advocate an alternative lifestyle known as homosexuality. Paul clearly says here that that kind of a lifestyle is wrong. And I would point out that Paul spoke the commandments of the Lord according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The things that he wrote were indeed the commands of Almighty God. But we talk about the problems that affect our nation. One of the real problems that we face in our nation today is immorality. 
And so we have the opportunity and the chance to be the difference. And then consider, if you would, verses 29 and following, the incorrigibility of the people. Again, he said, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unliving, unloving, rather, unforgiving, unmerciful. And let me pause there. Does that not sound like the world in which we live? Is that not a commentary on the actions and the lives of people today? The answer is a resounding yes. This is merely a picture of the way people live today. The bottom line is this, people haven't changed much. When people move away from the will of Almighty God, when they do not know what the Word of God says, there are catastrophic consequences to follow. Now, having said that, let me suggest in the second place that we are to shine as lights amidst a world of darkness, a world that has been darkened by sin. What do you think our duty is as a saint? Did you know that we are that we are called saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, that every child of God has been sanctified unto Christ Jesus and that we are to be called a saint? As a saint, what is my responsibility? As a child of God, as a member of the body of Christ, as one who has been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ, how am I to live? I need to understand I am the difference. I am the difference. My life ought to be a shining light for good in the world in which I live. The Apostle Paul talks to the saints in Philippi about how they were immersed in a perverse and crooked generation of people. He said, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. You and I, we have the responsibility of holding forth the word of life. That is the gospel. But I want to talk for just a moment or two about how we are the difference. Number one, we are the difference because of our verbal declaration. In other words, we hold forth the word of life and we let people know what the Bible has to say about how we are to live in this world. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we do, we show the advantages of Christianity. You ever thought about the great advantages of being a child of God? What is it we have to offer the world? What is it we have to offer people whose lives are steeped in sin, whose lives are literally upside down because of a chosen lifestyle? We have some great advantages. Let me just cite for you some of the advantages that we have to offer a lost and dying world. Number one, 
We can offer people whose lives have been darkened by sin the opportunity to start over. Now let me just ask this question. If you were to go out into the world and begin interviewing people, how many people do you think you would come in contact with that would assess their life and say, you know what, I am beyond the scope of redemption. There's no hope for me. How many people do you think have the idea that they've gone too far in life? That there is no way they can rectify the wrongs in their life? How many people in our world today do you think would relish the opportunity to start anew? But their idea is, I am damaged merchandise. Here's what Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul was writing to the saints in Corinth. He was writing to people, many of whom would have been deemed bad merchandise. They would have been deemed by many people as beyond hope. And yet Paul spent 18 months among the Corinthians, teaching those people, laboring among them, no doubt pleading with them, sharing the gospel to them. And did you know that those who lived in Corinth, many of those people were living in open fornication? That there were people in Corinth who were living in adultery? Some were living in homosexuality? Some were living as drunkards. Some were thieves. Some were extortioners. Some were revilers. That's why Paul would say in verse 11, and such were some of you, past tense. The opportunity for a new life. That's why when he wrote that second letter to the church at Corinth, he could say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Look at Paul. Look at Paul's life as a Jew. He was out doing what? binding and persecuting Christians. He consented to the death of Stephen. Here were Christians being put to death and the apostle Paul is consenting to the deaths of God's people. And yet Paul was a changed man by the gospel. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to speak to inmates in the Davidson County Jail. The first time I ever went to speak to prisoners in jail, and you, you just would not believe the number of people that you see in jail. When you go and you visit, you understand firsthand why the jails are overcrowded and overrunning. But I thought about people in, incarcerated. And I tried to put myself in their shoes. If I were a prisoner, what would I want to hear? I would want to hear that I can change my life, that I could be a changed man. Let me tell you what can change your life. The gospel can. That's what we have to offer people. And then I think about, and this is closely allied to the first point, I think about how as a Christian, the weight of sin can be lifted off of my shoulders. To know that I can go to bed at night and sleep like a baby because I don't have to deal with the, with the guilt, the shame, 
or the weight of sin. To know that every sin can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. When I'm baptized into Christ, when I die to the love and the practice of sin, Paul said in Romans 6 verse 4, I rise to walk in newness of life. All of those old sins are washed away. We sing the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, I contact the blood of Christ and all of my sins are purged. The Hebrew writer said, speaking on behalf of God, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, Hebrews 8, 12. God will put the past in the past. You don't have to worry about that anymore. That's a great thing. Those are just a couple of the advantages of being a child of God. And then let me give you a third, I believe, great advantage. You can live a fulfilled life. You can live with purpose in this life. There are so many people in our world today, they are wandering about aimlessly, without purpose, without direction. They have no focus in life. And yet you and I as a child of God, that void has been filled. There is, a, there, is, there is a void in the lives of people who do not know God. Many try a number of things to fill that void. Some look for power. Some look for prestige. Some look for a larger bank account. Some look here and some look there. The bottom line is the only thing that's going to satisfy that internal craving is Almighty God. Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. This is man's all. That's what gives me purpose and direction in life because I know where I've come from. I've come from God. I know what I'm doing here and I know where I'm going. I have aim. I have direction in life which leads me to a fourth thing, and that is the hope of eternal life. Where do, you spend, where do you plan to spend eternity? Have you made preparation to go to heaven? Are you living in such a way so that one day heaven will be your home? The Bible says that we live in hope of life eternal which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So we have a lot of advantages to offer the world. We talk about being the difference. There are a lot of people that look to us as the difference. So first, there is this verbal declaration. We hold forth the word of life. But then there is a visual demonstration. Paul said that we are to shine as lights in this world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You and I are to let our Christian light shine every day. Look again at Philippians chapter two. Paul said those people were living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Submerged in that sea of darkness, he said, you shine as lights in the world. We are the difference. We are to shine as a light in this world. We are a beacon of light. 
We let people know verbally, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is where I'm going. But then we also demonstrate visually for the world certain things. One of the things that we do, we visually demonstrate to the world the importance of moral purity. Let me tell you what, if you think young people in our public schools are going to be taught about morality and the importance of moral purity, there may be some exceptions, but by and large, they're not going to be taught the importance of moral purity. And yet Paul said, keep yourself pure. We are to live a pure and holy life. We say to the world, look, we're different. We believe that God expects us to live like his people. We're to live a holy, righteous life. And then I think about, we demonstrate to the world the importance of pure speech. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have a real problem with profanity. Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let me tell you this. As a child of God, if you talk to people in the world, and many of those people in the world will use profanity, they don't think anything about it. But when they talk to you long enough, over an extended course of time, you know what they come away with? At some point in time, they'll think, you know what? He or she never uses profanity. He or she never says anything that's impure. Why? Because we're the difference. Let me give you another thing to consider. Is it not the case that we demonstrate to the world the importance of a godly home? Look at how homes all across our country are being dismantled. Look at husbands and wives who are having marital problems. Look at individuals in our world today that are having problems with their children. Their lives are literally being torn apart. Their children are left to themselves. And yet the psalmist said, except the Lord build the house. Those who labor, labor in vain. I think about how we are the difference in the home. Out of the home, we teach what? Moral purity, pure speech. We teach our children, you know what? It's wrong to steal. Paul said, let him that stole steal no more. We don't steal. Why is that? Because we understand God doesn't want us to. In our world today, white-collar crimes probably exceed other crimes in some areas. Well, we're trying to be honest, law-abiding citizens. Those are some things that I believe say to me, hey, we're the difference. The community in which we live, we have to be the difference. The world in which we live, we have to be the difference. Paul and the people to whom he wrote in the first century, they were living in the midst of a Roman-governed world, a world of darkness, 
a sea of paganism, ungodly rulers. And you know what? They made a difference. And we can make a difference too. What we've got to do is just keep on keeping on. Be faithful till death. Do our best and leave everything else in the hands of the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. We want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the son of the living God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus also said, if you die in your sins, where I am there you can't come. So we want you to believe that Jesus is the son of God and then act on that belief and obey the will of God to be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then to be faithful until death, as Jesus said in Revelation 2, verse 10. Maybe you're here today, maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Well, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, come back to Christ, to live a faithful life, to live in such a way so that one day you too can be in heaven. Would you come as we stand and sing?